Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Adam Pranica. I am your other host, Ben Harrison. Ben, we've returned from our first tour, Conquering Heroes. Yeah, that was really fun. Kind of a lot has happened Yeah. since the last time we recorded the tour, Yeah. the election, mm. a ton of shit. Yeah, everything you've heard up until now was recorded before the end of the world. So we had no idea that we were sending messages into a bleak hellscape known as Fascism America. <laughs> we're also both equally distressed. Yeah. I, I'm just unable to articulate mine. It maybe was still. It was definitely a different tour than I envisioned before the election because I thought it would just be like another time. And uh, I don't think that I'm going far out on a limb when I say that like a huge majority of the people in our viewership uh, have been feeling very distressed and despondent. We've gotten a lot of emails uh, from people um, saying that they appreciated having something as dumb and non-election oriented as our show to to kind of escape into around that time. And uh, it didn't feel like the most natural thing to be going and like filling a room up with people and doing our jokes for them. But people really came through and it wound up being a totally joyful handful of days. Like we had three great podcast shows and then we had a, an awesome fundraising event with Sarus Faravar for the National Center for Science Education, which now feels more urgent than ever. And uh, I think we raised like a few hundred bucks for them, which is great and that was you know money that our our viewers gave out of the kindness of their hearts really thankful that people came out the way they did i i was really excited at the reception yeah i was very grateful to the venues that hosted us against their own instincts <laughs> many of them yeah when our when our shows had ended and we had sold out all of them on weeknights they were like we had no idea what you guys were going to be about and we're on a Tuesday night selling hundreds of dollars in alcohol. Like, thank you. <laughs> they seemed just a little bit blown away by the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, about as blown away as we were by how great things went. So thank you for coming out and seeing us. Yeah. And for being so nice uh, in, in meeting us. That was a real big deal. Yeah. It really felt like the hassle of going on the tour was was worth it when we got to finally meet some of our viewers and and uh they're just all such lovely people and uh you know relayed funny and touching and harrowing stories to us about like their relationship with the show and i think that like one of the things that adam and i have m both felt really uh grateful for is how much the people that listen to this show have kind of insisted upon forming a community around it you know we haven't done nearly as much work as we probably could have in fostering that, but people just did it anyways. And uh, seeing that come alive at the shows was, was so cool. And I don't think I am uh, speaking out of school, Adam, when I say I think we are, we, the bug has bit us and we are going to do more of those. So uh, if we didn't come to your town or if you couldn't get tickets this time, uh, for sure we will be back. It, it was a great experience all around, both personally and professionally. So can't wait to get back out there and see you. Hooray! Do you want to get back to uh, dick, fart, and Trump jokes, mm. Ben? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do some pod. It's season four, episode 15. Ben, it's the halfway point in the series. First contact. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Mm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Halfway point and potentially the high watermark. Um, <laughs> so this episode has like one of the great cold opens, which is uh, a kind of an implied Riker initially getting pushed around in a hospital, and uh, you know you never like look at his his face for the first for the first few beats, and uh, these uh, he's 
he's a a patient in a hospital that looks not terribly dissimilar from the kind of hospital that we are familiar with in our time. And yet the people that are working there are, you know, alien people and they have a little bit of loaf and they got lobster hands. And one of the first things they notice is that Riker does not have lobster hands. And uh, this really fucking floors them. (laughs) Like they are shocked when they when they get a load of what his hands look like it's interesting to me how contemporary this cold open is because i think i just sort of take this open for granted like this is a gray's anatomy open (laughs) gray's anatomy and hospital shows like it open their episodes with this 99 times out of 100 and this is the first time we get a star trek version of it you know like yeah and it could it might as well be in a foreign language just like hospital speak is like get this guy 40 cc's of derp 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 and and like bring those paddles over here we gotta save him like it's it's sci-fied up a little bit but this is this is what we know uh from contemporary television you know, my uh, my aunt was in the hospital one time, and they put her on some derp 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 and she developed a, a fairly crippling dependency at him. Not funny to joke around about derp 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 in my opinion. I think opioid addiction, like people's addictions to derp derp are... Uh, it's not anything to joke about, Ben. Yeah, that's a hot potato. Uh, so uh, the Riker squint to credits is them pulling a, uh, a mitten off of his hand and looking at all of his fingers. What are you? While holding, holding his hand in their crazy lobster claws. and uh, Doctor, this, this man has dick fingers. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of Twilight zone too, right? Like, there's a Twilight Zone episode where... Sure, the, yeah, uh, the, the piggies. Yeah, this is, this is, uh, this is piggy hands. Yeah. Speaking of beauty, Adam, I can't help but notice that you got a haircut since our, our tour. That was almost the first thing I did when I came home. <laughs> because let me tell you, uh, nothing pokes a hole in your own sense of vanity, like seeing pictures of yourself on stage a month and a half late on a haircut. <laughs> so, I basically went from the airport to the barber's chair. <laughs> Doctor, we've got to cut this man's hair. Stat. <laughs> Get the derp 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 <laughs> We see, uh, as part of the credit sequence, a full page of credited writers, Ben. I don't know if you noticed this. Or oh, this I noticed. Flew by you. Like, I think when you get a phone book of writers on an episode, my hopes were immediately grounded right. for what was to that, come. That is a, that's a level setting move. Yeah. Um, I knew this in the past, but this looking at these writing credits made me look it back up because I wanted to be sure I remembered how it went. If you see an ampersand in between the names of two writers, that means they are part of a team. So a writing team it gets like a, is considered a single credit. Um, and then if you see the the word "and" in between two writers' names, that's when uh, it was a different draft or a different part of the process so there are six writers credits and there are three ampersands and two ands so i guess uh <laughs> so i guess it was uh th- three different teams of writers touched this script at, at one point or another which is pretty wild i think this is the most it has to be the most because i don't remember an entire scene being covered with credits before the way it was here yeah it was, it's a little jar but uh <laughs> But, like, uh, I mean, there's definitely some some weird writing in this in this episode, but I think that like it's it's one of the most unique episodes, and that's not necessarily what you would assume based on seeing a ton of credits. like they you know, they got some script that was crazy and interesting, but they had to kind of put it back into the vernacular of the show with a rewrite. Like that's not how this feels. like, it feels like an episode that's kind of from the perspective of the aliens, which is not the not the way it normally goes, you know? To me, I think what you've touched on is one of the themes of this season. It's like the changing perspectives of what we're getting episode to episode. Like, seeing this crew and this world through the eyes of an alien seems slightly related to seeing the world through the eyes of Data, for yeah. example, or seeing the world through the eyes of of O'Brien and Keiko. Like, I, th- I think we're just sort of taking a tour 
of the universe at this point in the series, and it's been pretty interesting. Absolutely. So Riker is on this on this uh, Delta Comfort Plus bed, and uh, the doctor. We gotta sew his fingers back together. <laughs> yeah, they keep coming in and going like, "Hey, like your loaf is fake." <laughs> And ours is real. What's up with that? And he's like, oh, I, I have a, uh, a gruesome birth defect, and I had it corrected cosmetically. And they're like, what's up with your, what's up with no, uh, no lobster claws? And he said, yeah, that's, uh, that's weird, right? Well, anyways, I'm from really far away, and my doctor, Dr. Crusher, uh, probably shouldn't have said that. Anyways, she's going to be real hard to reach. <laughs> um, so... I'll just be going, and you guys don't you worry your pretty little heads about what a strange being I appear to be, because all of my internal organs are different from yours, and all of my external uh, manifestations of being an alien are uh, either fake or missing. <laughs> so I'll just be on my way, and they're like, hey, what's this dustbuster? <laughs> He's like, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's for a kid. Um, not my kid. I don't have a kid, but for a neighbor's kid. I thought Riker would be better at lying than this. He's a poker player, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> he, I mean, he, uh, he does not hold up to interrogation as well as I had hoped. Yeah. He's like looking around the room for his hologram sunglasses and baseball cap that he would normally wear in competitive poker. Uh, can't find him, so all of his tells just bleed through. So the B storyline is where we do some world building here. Mm -hmm. We cut to what we come to know is a a chancellor's office, and he's having a conversation with his associates, and they're talking about space travel. And this uh, and this lead scientist is like, "You guys are not going to believe how close we are to to space travel right now. Like this is going to be amazing. We've we've completed our beta testing. We're going to go to space soon. So." Buckle up. Yeah. Like, it's happening. We are 10 months out from full warp capability. Yeah. And they are not universally pumped about this. Like, Chancellor Durkin's like, well, that's interesting, but there's going to be consequences because we have a world made up of uh, both traditionalists, like the Robert's of the world, <laughs> and then we've got, we've got exciting science-type people who are super stoked for this. Yeah. Um, so Chancellor... Durkin plays the middle, but there's very clearly like two halves of the argument that are also in the room. The scientist, uh, Marastra, is pro-space. She's ready to get it on. If I get your approval today. And this other guy, uh, Krola, is the guy who's the traditionalist. But perhaps we're moving too fast. He says, fuck space. We've got people on this world who uh, want things the way they were. Yeah. We don't, we don't need any of your microwave ovens. Or your cable televisions up in here. Surprised me because Krola seemed like such a hipster. Like he had that hipster mustache. He had the Snapchat glasses. Like he, he had great glasses. <laughs> he's, he's just he's snapping away. You got to check out his snaps. Krola seemed really familiar to me, uh, and I put together that. You remember in the movie Ghostbusters? That first ghost-busting mission when they go to the hotel and that fucking asshole lets oh, yeah. them in. I had no idea to be so much. I won't pay it. That's Krola? That's the guy. Damn. Yeah, that's Krola. And so that's the tension. It's it's past versus future tension, right? Yeah. And and uh, we get a couple of story beats about the, the people that live on Malcor 3. That's about like how they kind of think of themselves as the apex of evolution and the and the like you know the they're the supreme beings of the universe and their planet is in the center of the universe i thought i thought it was funny that they called their planet malcor 3 if it's the yeah. number one planet <laughs> like, uh-huh. shouldn't they have had a better name than that <laughs> we uh, we start counting the planets from the third <laughs> yeah and then as soon as we get to the outermost planet we start over from nearest to the sun. Listen, we don't have a lot of digits on our hands, so (laughs) our counting is really fucked up. (laughs) When you only have three digits on your hands, three is the best number. Yeah, yeah, I never thought of it that way, but I think that must be what what happened. Uh, (laughs) Oh, man. Um, So Marasta, the, the science lady who is 
you know, the one advocating for more space uh, exploration is back in her office when uh, Picard and Troy just kind of materialize in front of her. And they're like, hey, (laughs) so you know how you're like really interested in space? Guess where we just came from? (laughs) (laughs) It is a crazy principle with Darth Vader's base. Have you got find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth? You don't deserve to wear that uniform. To her credit, she really holds it together. Yeah, like they are dropping bangers on her. Like, (laughs) this is some fucking shit that they are explaining to her. We've come with some very important information. About what? About space about the universe you're preparing to enter. And she's like, oh, word? Like, that's amazing. (laughs) I really agree with Picard and Troy's decision to visit her at work. Mm -hmm. Because, man, if you do this at home, (laughs) like, you might get shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know if this is an open carry planet or anything. Yeah. And, and yeah, she's, like, very receptive. Like, they're like, hey, we can can actually prove that we're from space if if you're willing to go on a little ride with us. And she's like, all right. I'm I'm game. Picard does a little porn movie pause here that I thought was really fun. <laughs> He's like, as you can see, we are physically quite different from Malkorians, and with your permission, I'm prepared to prove it to you. They don't ask her though either, right? They just say we have ways to show you, and then they fucking beam her up. So yeah, they go to the ship, and she's like, "This is great." They, uh, I, I think, I feel like. Picard was like, hey, can we get, like, a blue guy to hang out in 10 Forward for this? Because it would be great if there was somebody blue uh, for her to lay, you know, get a load of when she comes in. And This uh, scene was great because Picard goes in and scouts it first. Yeah. Why does he do that? <laughs> Just wanted to make sure that there was a blue in there. What else could he have been looking for? I don't know. Like, what's the worst scenario he could walk into... Like, that would be a cause for, uh, well, maybe we'll come back here some other time. It's I probably mean, a fist fight, right? We have seen a bar fight break out in, yeah. in 10 Forward before. And, you know, given the frequency with which, like, mind control and other terrible things befall this ship, Picard's been away for 10 minutes. He could be coming back to anything, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Marista's like, they have fist fights just like us. <laughs> yeah. Except it's more beautiful up here. <laughs> yeah. They basically lay this, this conundrum on her, and the conundrum is this. They would like to you know, keep their first contact going smoothly, but because Riker is missing, they are in a tight spot, and they want to see if they can get some kind of some chill people uh, high up in the ranks of power that are like down to kind of keep the secret and like help them roll this out in a slow way, but nonetheless, uh, you know, get their man back and uh, and uh, make sure that Riker isn't, you know, killed or or the secret isn't blown too early. Because they're, they're talking a lot about how, like, first contact is the most intense kind of mission that a Federation starship can go on. And, you know, there's fuck-ups all the time, but, like, they have done a lot of research and they even have, like surface recon teams and that's what Riker was there for so they're they're trying to like get a sense of this species before they uh they lift up their kimono when you're on a mission of consent (laughs) there's only one man that you send down to the planet surface and that's one will Riker. yeah he's gonna get it and at this point Riker's condition is still in question like he's been seriously injured in some sort of riot yeah they're patching them back together, but these doctors have some questions, and they will just not shut up about these questions. Yeah, and th- there's kind of like a a similar vibe at the hospital. There's like a handful of doctors, and one of them is definitely like, this guy's an alien. I swear it. I swear to God, he's a fucking alien, and we got to do something about it. And another is like, hey, like he may or may not be man, but he's like our patient, and, <laughs> and like we got to take care of him. That's like the f- first thing. And then we'll figure out what to do. And so they keep, you know, coming in and pressing him with hot questions. And, you know, things are getting tense for him there in the in the medical ward. And it's pretty clear at this point that Chancellor Durkin and Marasta don't know where Riker is or what has befallen him. And, like, it seems a little bit like the 
doctors in this hospital are it's like up to them to decide like what to do about this situation that seemed really interesting to me like that they didn't see the need to elevate this any higher than at the hospital level yeah like you think that they would at least call like the cdc or something like that yeah they saw fit to just like keep him around and do medicine on him yeah i mean the story is pretty transparently like the malcorians are us yeah. Like and and when I try to transpose these story beats into our own world, I'm like, well, if an alien were ever to be admitted to Cedar Sinai, like, <laughs> like the the government is going to know about it almost immediately. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of guys in white hazmat suits holding radios suspiciously in a weapon like way. Yeah, and they never give Riker that treatment. Yeah, it's uh you know like at, at some point he's like attempting to make an escape and uh and bb newworth walks in everybody i'd like you to meet my date dr lilith sternan md phd edd apa and she's like i I love all the costumes in this hospital they're all they're all in like helmet laying doctor costumes and hers is like by far the like most runway-ish of of all of them uh but it turns out she's got a a kink and her kink is I've always wanted to make love with an alien. And uh, and he's like, It's not that easy. There are differences in the way that my people make love. And she's like, I can't wait to learn. She's like, I've got an armpit. Yeah. Baby Newworth fucking destroys this scene. She is so great. Yeah, it's really fun. And She uh, is playing acting chess to yeah. everyone else's checkers. I, I, I thought it was fun, too, because, you know, like, like this is kind of goes a little deeper down the rabbit hole of Riker's fetish being consent. It's uh, it's not just consent, it's like informed consent, you know? <laughs> he doesn't want her to th- like sign up for th- something that she doesn't fully understand. So he like yeah. he like sets her expectations before he is uh, he's willing to to get down with her. But then he definitely fucks her. <laughs> like like they definitely bang. <laughs> I definitely relate to the idea of setting the expectations low, like maybe even exactly the way that Riker does it here. Riker's like, well, I don't know how any of your parts work, and (laughs) and I've never seen them before, and I don't know if mine are going to work with them. I feel like I said that very early on in my own sexual experience, (laughs) almost exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, good job by you, Riker. Yeah, I mean, it's a good job by him. Unfortunately for you, you don't have the genius level skill that a man who's let his imagination run wild on the holodeck yeah would have but uh they could have gone full camp after this too like she does that thing that we've seen people do to distract security people before which is like she walks out in the hallway and is like what is that over there is that the goodyear blimp (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then Riker runs the other way but she does not come out of the six bay like with her hair tousled and her lipstick smeared. <laughs> no, yeah, she definitely gets and her put back pants together. on backwards. Yeah. yeah, like like she is very put together, which I think uh, leads us to believe that there was a beach involved, right? Just like a spit or swallow type of situation. Oh God, gross, Ben. <laughs> My love is a So Riker runs out of the room and proceeds to just get his ass kicked. Yeah, they like, really they do not... They pigpile him in a hurry. <laughs> they do not like the idea of him walking out of this hospital uh, without their permission. And they, they really beat the shit out of him. And, and it's not like he was 100% to begin with. Like, they they kick him in the ribs a few times. Ribs that are pretty tender. Yeah. And, and, and he almost did. So that's when Krola reveals to Chancellor Durkin, like, hey, we got one of these aliens. Like, we got some leverage now. Now we can really, like, you know, protect ourselves from these interlopers. Because the whole thing with the Malkorians is that they're worried about the kind of colonist effect, you know? Like, they don't want to be the Native Americans to the, to the, uh, to the European settlers, they don't want the Enterprise to be the harbinger of their collapse as a civilization. So, Yeah, and Krola's concerns are far less about tradition and far more about like extermination at this point. 
Right. And, um, you know, to his credit, like, he's found, like, some some evidence. Like, they definitely were, like, covertly uh, spying on their culture. And uh, also, Riker brought a dustbuster. And he's like, why did you bring this fucking dustbuster if you're, if you're such a peaceful uh, species? Like, what's that about? And, uh, and so Picard is stuck kind of like debating all of these points with Durkin and he's like, just like, let us fucking have our guy. Like he, like he doesn't pose a threat to you. Like if you guys want us to go after this, we totally will. Like we, we just wanted to get to know you guys. That was our entire motivation and we fucked this up. We're going to cop to that, but you got to do the right thing here. And Durkin is having a very hard time getting to that point. This actually does a lot to help their relationship. Durkin seems pretty impressed that Picard is willing to cop to making a mistake. Yeah. He's like he's like, you know, for all of your technological advances, like you're still you're still fallible. Yeah. And that that actually makes you far less threatening to me in a way that you were moments ago. I think that Durkin is one of the weirdest characters cuz he's both a super moral and and fairly wise leader but he also you know has this has this security chief who is maybe a little bit more keyed up and and hyper vigilant than for example Worf but uh but he is so condescending to the guy at the same time like anytime Krola like raises a concern Durkin does the same thing that Picard always does which is like all right dude like I'm sure it's a really big threat Ignore, ignore, ignore. <laughs> <laughs> and that's got to be so frustrating if you're Krola, right? Yeah, and it finally, like, pushes him to the edge, right? He's like, if if the Chancellor is really going to entertain the idea of of accepting these future space people here, yeah. and it's going to fuck up the whole world, like, guess what? I'm ready to martyr myself. Mm-hmm. So he rolls into Riker's six-bay room and is like, ready to interrogate. He tells the other doctors in there, wake him up. I don't care how dangerous it is. <laughs> uh, stick him with a, with a syringe. And yeah. I want to ask you a bunch of questions, and I want to have them answered immediately. Yeah. The doctor's like, fuck that. I'm the sort of doctor that believes in do no harm. You're going to have to find someone else. Uh, Corolla does that pretty mm-hmm. quickly, and then they wake him up. And then they leave Corolla alone with Riker, which... Didn't make a lot of sense at the time, but it advances the story. Krola finally gets to a point where he's like, look, mister, I don't really care for your answers right now. Like, you're being pretty honest, which is great, but check it (laughs) out. I'm going to make you kill me, and that's going to ruin any chance there is of there being any sort of relationship between our people. So He's basically gotten to the point where Riker, like, he believes Riker saying that, like, we're here on, on, on peaceful business and we are just trying to get to know you guys and Krola is like doesn't matter like if you yeah. guys get to if you guys get to be well if the public is made aware of your existence my society ceases to exist as I know it and I can't allow that to happen in fact I'm willing to die for it it never mattered what he said yeah so Krola puts the dustbuster in Riker's hand and puts his hands around Riker's hands and shoots himself with the dustbuster yeah. And Riker's too weak to fight it off. He's he's barely there to begin with. Yeah. And uh I guess I guess it's because the phaser goes off that the Enterprise is able to establish a location for Riker. Yeah, that moment is never established. I feel like that's got to be it, him. right? Cuz they can detect phaser fire on a, on the surface of a planet. So they've got to be like, okay, that's something that's not supposed to happen. Where did it happen? Let's be Either that or what happened in the Chancellor's McLaughlin group. Issue one. Somehow, like, the end of that conversation pointed to Riker's whereabouts. But we don't ever see it and don't ever know for sure. Yeah. Well, anyways, the team that beams down is Worf and Beverly and another doctor. And they beam up with Krola and Riker. And uh, Picard's like, cool, I'll meet you guys back on the ship. So the, uh, the episode gets wrapped up. In the following way, <laughs> Durkin uh, is like leaning over Krola's bio bed in Six Bay, and Krola opens his eyes and he's like, "What the fuck? <laughs> I'm not supposed to be here. Is this is this heaven?" And he's like, "No, you sat yourself on stun, you dope. Like <laughs> you do not know what you're doing." And 
<laughs> despite that, like you win. You've uh, you've proved your point that we are way too irrational as a species to accommodate the existence of other intelligent beings in the universe. And so Durkin and and Riker's like you know obviously fine. Um, they're like oh man, moments later and he would have been dead, but we got him. And so Picard and Durkin and Morasta go back to the ready room, and Durkin's like well. I've learned a lot, and uh, I'm really glad I got to know you, but I just don't think my society is ready, and as its elected leader, that's my call to make. So I'm uh, suspending all of our space research, and we're going to blow all of the resources that we would have been spending on that into education and cultural development so that like, we can get our people ready for the idea of not being the hottest turd in the galaxy. And... Marasta is like pretty devastated by this. Like she was, she totally disagrees with the call he makes, and and so uh, her her solution to having whether or not to go back to the this planet and know that the Enterprise and the Federation exists, but not be able to tell anybody is like just take me with you. Like I don't want to I don't want to go back to Malcor three and just like live the rest of my life with this secret that's going to drive me fucking crazy. And so Picard is like, cool, yeah, we'll get you a room. We have a huge ship. <laughs> this moment felt very true to me. Like, uh, it feels like the choice that I would make. You can't go back to your, nor- your normal life after this. Yeah. You've seen Ten Forward. Mm-hmm. You've you know, seen the blue guy at the bar. That dude seems chill. I want to hang with him. You've seen how a replicator and a transporter work. You can't just un- unsee that. Yeah. And I thought it was a pretty humane decision of Picard. I think, I think if he's following the rule of the law, yeah, I think instinctually he'd be like, "Sorry, you know what? It's it's all or nothing. It's either your entire planet or no one." But I thought it was a real humane choice not to ruin this poor woman's life by giving her a <laughs> glimpse of this awesome future and then taking it away. Yeah, absolutely. But that would have been cruel. I thought it would have been cool to make Marasta like a repeat character even. Like she's presumably just going to live on the Enterprise now and uh to have her, you know, come back up from time to time I thought would be cool cuz it's it is really interesting to see the ship through the eyes of somebody who uh is just kind of on the verge of being able to imagine it. Like I I feel like this episode has a lot of parallels with the Mentakens episode when yeah when they give uh when they give the lady a tour of uh, of the ship. But, like, in that episode, it's somebody who's so primitive that it's very hard to put yourself in their shoes, talking to somebody who's so advanced that it's very hard to put yourself in their shoes. And yeah. this is, like, somebody who is basically one of us getting to take a peek at 24th century life. And uh, that's a really fun thing to imagine, at least for me. Right up to the point where... The Chancellor chooses the past versus the future. Like, there was a very definite ache to that moment for me. Yeah. Because uh, because that felt contemporary, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Contemporary like, to our times. We're, we're going to make Malcor three great again. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, uh, dumping a bunch of funding into education and social development uh, <laughs> sounds like... Uh, that sounds like science fiction to me. Yeah. <laughs> also. Boy. But pretty interesting timing on this episode for sure. Yeah. Ben, did this feel like a Roswell story to you also in that like this sort of seemed like a retelling of of that moment like alien crash lands get in, gets injured, gets yeah. taken to some secret base. You know, like all of the the paranoia that plays out absolutely i mean this almost has like an alien autopsy in it yeah and yeah. uh and i think that it is and you better get your biggest scalpels if you want a y incision riker's dick <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna have to change blades halfway through yeah yeah it's gonna wear out i mean that thing is rock hard <laughs> just choose the choose that surgical steel right up What's that cloth partition that they use for, like, pregnant ladies? Is there a thing of a name? I don't think so. Yeah. They're going to need a lot of those, Ben. (laughs) 
I thought it was an interesting choice to make these an alien, a type of alien that's got like pretty minimal head loaf. Mm-hmm. Like the main difference is that they have lobster claws. And uh, why is know, that the default? I, I don't know. I mean, I I just think that like they had to make these people look superhuman. You know, yeah. they had to look like people and not like aliens, so that their concerns were relatable. You know, I think that they like when we flip it around and we have a Roswell story, the alien is always super alien and gross and you know like we we don't sympathize with that creature as much in that if, those... if it's a planet of fecklars right yeah exactly I am cute as a ball. There are lights. did you like this episode ben i really did uh i think it might be uh it might be in my top five whoa how about yourself i liked it too but i I don't love it enough to place it on my mountain, you know, <laughs> but I, I did like it quite a bit and I felt its themes were, uh, were appropriate. So for, yeah. for that and for that reason and a few others, I thought it was fun. I think, I just think it's, it's terrific. You know, it totally overcame the, uh, writing by committee problem. And, um, boy, what a setup that was. This really exceeded those expectations. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, that is all about that episode. How do we usually transition out of this part of the show? <laughs> we hit the button next to the blinking light that says we have a priority one message. Oh, yeah. We got to find out if that light is true or just like the check engine light in the Mercury Mountaineer I recently inherited, which is always on. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first and only Priority One message is from your devoted and loving Huss. <laughs> and it is for my precious... It is for my precious pun. It is for my precious prun. <laughs> which is not as easy to pronounce as you might think. That's a tongue twister. It goes like this. This message is from Bruce to his beloved and precious wife, mother of his children, and love of his life, Chanda Russell. Could be Chanda. We're getting another Kirsten Kirsten thing going on here. Sure. It will surely be surprising to be listening to The Greatest Generation <laughs> with a huss and hear your name. I'm happy to support an excellent podcast with the added benefit of giving an unexpected gesture of love to my woman, Chand. Is it possible that Huss is a uh, an abreve for Husnak? Let me tell you something, Ben. <laughs> oh, if Kevin, don't say my name. It's so creepy. <laughs> if there's one thing that is most certainly not precious to me, it is the Husnak. <laughs> but Kevin, I thought you kind of regretted what you did to them. Wasn't that the whole thing that you were kind of, you felt really bad about the the whole, the way it went down with the Husnak? There is no punishment to fit my crime. <laughs> uh, so, but you've moved on from Rashan and now you're hanging out with Chand. Is that, is that how it goes? I prefer my real dolls to sound very similar in name. That way when I scream them out, they don't become offended if I confuse them. <laughs> I feel like I changed the premise of the bit on you, like, midstream, and I feel bad about that, uh, Kevin. You're making this comedically difficult for me. <laughs> yeah. You know what happens when I become angry? Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in improv, they call this pimping, and uh, I, I could see why it would make you angry. I wish to now destroy all improv groups <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> A thousand... Yes, and screaming out in terror before going quiet. I'm getting out of this bit. I'm walking away, Ben. Uh. Our thanks to Bruce the Hun and his and his precious wife, Chanda. Thank you for your message of love that we could then uh, pervert with one of our favorite impressions. Uh, if you would like to send a message to your precious prun. If you are a loving huss or whiff or, uh, <laughs> or anyone else, uh, be sure to go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron 
uh, you can fill out a handy form there that we will then read on the air. Personal messages are $100. $200 for a business-like message. And it helps us produce our show twice weekly. It sure does. Uh, thanks, thanks, guys. And uh, on to the rest of the show. What do you say? Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! Uh, I did. Uh, there's one scene in this episode that really makes me laugh. And uh, it's... Uh, so my drunk Shimoda is Riker. And the scene is when he is about to... It's like right before BB comes in. And uh, Riker has like found found a high window in his room. It's probably, you know four and a half or five feet off the ground and uh and he picks up like a heavy ass bench that's sitting in front of it and is about to chuck it through the window <laughs> when she comes in and she's like that's a terrible idea and it cuts back to him and he like is setting the bench down and like doing like a uh nothing to see here i was uh doing uh curls with that bench and not trying to throw it through a window <laughs> the way he tries to play off like this <laughs> hilariously physical action is so funny. It looks like the bench is too big for the window, right? Right. It's There's so many things about it that are incongruent and hilarious. <laughs> and uh, it's like, you know, seeing somebody slip on a banana peel and try to act like they didn't uh, almost take a, d- a dive. And uh, it's, a, it's a beloved Star Trek moment for me. Dr. Lilith is like, why don't you try fucking your way out of this problem instead? <laughs> Riker's I don't like, know why. I'm listening. <laughs> why does no one station a security person inside a person's hospital room? We see this over and over again in TV and movies. Yeah, the security is always outside. Yeah. Like, why are they all hung up on privacy in hospital rooms instead of security? Right, makes no sense. This is an alien. Who cares? The rules are out the window. My Shimoda is occurs during the same scene. I mean, it's Linnell, the horny social worker. Like, I just <laughs> loved her whole deal. We never know why she's there, what she's actually doing. This should be the most secure room in the world yeah. to them. And she just wanders in there with a clipboard, ready to fuck. Yeah. Uh, and the scene just felt fun and light and, and Riker's slide whistle look on his face you know when he when he knows he's gonna have to fuck his way out of the room like i feel like it's why you join starfleet is is this mission they in this moment right they have to be a little bit judicious with how many times they do a scene like this in the show yeah and like this just like it is so on the nose and yet so funny and well executed that it's like i can't complain at all you know yeah, it's real Kirky, but it's not uh it's not ham and cheese Kirk. Yeah. It's real great. That's great. It's, it's as subtle as exchanging sex for freedom can possibly be on the show. <laughs> uh boners for hostages. Yeah, yeah. That's uh that's the Peter North, not the Oliver North <laughs> uh, trial right there. Oh boy. Darmok Angela. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. 
One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up in the next episode, Ben? The next episode is season four, episode 16, Galaxy's Child. The Enterprise becomes surrogate mother to a huge alien creature after Picard is forced to destroy its real mother. Do you remember this episode, Adam? That sounds pretty tragic. Yeah. Is this the one that's that uh, that one Riker video uses? <laughs> the Gazora YouTube video for a show that was never produced just called Riker? No, I haven't seen that. this is the one that. episode? Wow. There's a fun video online by YouTube user Gazora, G-A-Z-O-R-A, and it's a fun little fake television show including an opening and a conclusion. <laughs> and the and the only thing that happens in the episode is a giant alien gets born with Riker's face. <laughs> so I'm almost positive this is that episode. But uh, uh, either way, we've got to watch it. Yeah, we do. We don't have any more vetoes. Um, and I don't, I, I don't know if I remember this one especially well either. I feel like I was thinking it was Tin Man or... I'm the, sorry, what? Tin Man. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. Uh, and and then I was like confusing it with the giant space aliens from uh, the first episode of the series. My uh, my memory is cloudy. Um, but I'm sure it'll snap right back into place. Well, one thing that feels like giving birth twice a week <laughs> is editing and releasing these shows, Ben. Yeah. And one of the ways that, uh, that I guess you could call it the uh, monetary epidural <laughs> that, that helps ease that effort is all of our viewers going to MaximumFun.org slash donate and supporting that birthing process. Mm. Sounds like you've been caught midwife. Uh, <laughs> another way they can support us is by going to MaxFunStore.com. We now have a second shirt in the MaxFunStore. The long-awaited, long-overdue, drunk Shimoda shirt is available. 
And uh, big thanks to our pal Sean Cologne uh, for sending us a design for that. Um, Sean directed uh, that documentary about Fat Records uh, that we did a Priority One message for. Uh, and uh, he's a big supporter and uh, sent us a, <laughs> just kind of unbidden, sent us in a, uh, a design for the Drunk Shimoto shirt. And we liked it enough that we were like, yeah, let's, let's send it along to, to Patico. Get that shit printed up. I like how we're doing that. Like, I like it when viewers send in t-shirt ideas. I really liked that we designed our tour poster using uh, Ian at Illustration. Like, yeah. I like keeping it in the family like that. So if you have more t-shirt or merch ideas, uh, send them our way using the email address drunkshimoda at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll see what we can do. Um, I also asked the, uh, the folks about getting Drunk Shimoda pint glasses printed up, and they're cautiously interested but they want to make sure that the shirts sell well so uh if you want to see that happen you know what to do that might be a piece of our own merch that i would actually purchase (laughs) yeah i need more of those um so uh you should follow adam on twitter at cut for time or me at benjamin rahr and use the hashtag greatest gen to uh, joke around about the show. There's always lots of that going on. We also have a subreddit, uh, greatestgen.reddit.com, and there is a lively Facebook group as well. Both of those recently crossed the thousand member mark, which is crazy and awesome. It's a lot of crazy people. <laughs> a lot of awesome people. We met a lot of awesome people on our tour. Yeah. Thank you, uh, everybody that came out and got a poster or a t shirt that was just so much fun and you know we really had no idea what we were in for and uh we felt great about it and uh, i hope everybody that came out felt as great as they made us feel um and uh we will definitely be doing some more live stuff uh hopefully 2017 has another tour in store in addition to greatest gen con that tour financially crippled us, Ben. We gave away <laughs> three signed Jaegers. Yeah. So when you're $3,000 underwater like that, that's a, it's going to be hard to recover from. We need but people to touring really more yeah. will, uh, will help, I'm sure. And I can't wait to run it on down the East Coast, yep. the South, the Midwest, uh, New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Where else can we go? We've got listeners everywhere. Scotland. I feel like Ireland and Scotland. We've got a lot of uh, a lot of viewers. Maybe maybe London, but that's an expensive town. Well, we are gonna sell out a giant theater there. It's gonna be great. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe we'll get invited to one of those pod fests or something. That'd be great. That would well, be really delightful. Hard. It point, would be hard for us to turn something like that down. Point being. Uh, now that we've started, we can't be stopped. Yep. Thanks uh, to you guys. Yeah, thank you, everybody. And with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and a midwifery-oriented <laughs> episode of The Greatest Generation. Afterbirth slathered episode. <laughs> We're gonna take that space placenta and num 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 num. That's a tea, just gray hot for Picard. <laughs> <laughs> That's not Earl Gray. No. Uh, tea Earl Gross. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm hitting stop. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.